Turn together now to Paul's letter to Philippians and chapter 2. And we can read at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 and at verse number 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so on down through this section. So we return to considering the parting counsel from the words of Paul. Uh, And as we know, Paul had a relationship with so many churches and we know from the story of his life that he was someone who suffered for the ministry of the gospel. We have noted that he, he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in AD 33. We have noticed that he was imprisoned in Rome twice in AD 60 to 62 and also again in AD 66. We have also noted that he was probably martyred for his faith uh, during the reign of Emperor Nero. When we come to this letter to the Philippians, uh, we can see from the very beginning of the letter that he had a very close and warm relationship with them. We read in Acts chapter 16 the way in which he was called to come over to Macedonia and to help the church there. And that was in AD 50. Uh, And he was there at the riverside when Lydia was converted. He was there when the jailer was converted. He had a close relationship with them. And now in his first imprisonment in Rome, 12 years later, he is separated from them and he is writing to them. And in many ways he's writing to give thanks for them. He's writing to remind them of his joy in them. He is writing in his own gentle way to to speak about the things that that he sees they needed to address for the success of the gospel. He recognizes that they were themselves suffering for the gospel as well. And when we come into chapter 2, we are basically looking at at a section of the letter which begins at verse 27 in chapter 1 where we read, Now let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that short statement sums up everything that he says in this whole section down to verse 18 of chapter 2. And in many ways, that sums up the ministry of the gospel itself. It's coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, and then it's living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in considering the section from verse 2 onwards, and in thinking of parting counsel from the words of Paul, we want to think of his personal plea for a God-glorifying witness. He wants them to be shining lights for Christ Jesus in Philippi. I want to see, first of all, in this plea for that, that there is communion. And communion, of course, is at the very centre of the life of the people of God. If we are the children of God, there is communion with Christ Jesus through his Holy Spirit, there is communion with one another. And in speaking to them about the importance of communion and their witness, he begins by commending them. And he commends them for their obedience, as you have always obeyed. It's, it's a wonderful commendation. 
At these 12 years, he, he can look at this church and, and he can give thanks to God for their ongoing obedience. And not only are they obedient to him and to the gospel whilst he is there, but even more so in his absence. Here he is in Rome, surrounded by the Triterian Guard. Here he is thinking about them in Philippi, in the Roman Empire, and he thinks of the way in which, in his absence, they are developing and growing in their obedience. And tonight, for, for ourselves to, to, to think of presence and partings, what a wonderful thought that would be, and what a wonderful commendation that would be if, in our absence from one another, in the days that are to come, that there would be that sense of growing obedience, of increasing devotion to Christ, of love for the Lord as our Saviour, a growing sense of obedience. May, may that be our desire, may it be our longing, may it be what we practically work out to achieve in every step that we take in the days that are to come, a growing obedience to Christ Jesus. And that sense of, of growing obedience, he, he wants them to reflect upon the importance of their own energy in establishing the communion of the church in Philippi. And that's what we read in, in verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a sense in which they have to spend all of their energy and do so until the very task in which they are engaged is finished. It's a command for them to begin to do this work, to spend their whole beings as those who are prepared by God and to do so as those who live in Philippi as the children of God. And they are to spend their energy in working out in a particular way. And it is working out your own salvation. And we know, of course, that salvation in the New Testament is, is generally God's redemptive work in Christ Jesus. What is salvation? It is what God has done in Christ which you know applies to his people in the world and a salvation that will be complete at the end of time. He wants them to work out their salvation. And of course, in many ways, our salvation, or perhaps in every way, our salvation is all of grace. Yet because of that grace, there is a sense of responsibility that we have to work out our salvation. And when we read the way in which Paul writes these words, there is a sense in which he is referring not to their personal salvation, not to working out as individuals in Philippi. He is not telling him, go home to, to your own homes and to your families and to whatever you are doing. Work out your salvation there. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, work out your salvation together. Let your salvation work itself out in your lives together. In other words, have that sense of communion of Philippi that, that will give to you that effective witness 
which will be powerful to speak to those who are your enemies under whom you are suffering and will be also an effective way of encouraging the people of God. Work out your salvation. And for ourselves tonight, that's the, the, the challenging thing for, for the church and every day and every generation and every community and every town and every congregation of the people of God that there is that determined effort to maintain the communion of the people of God to ensure that, that nothing happens to, to spoil that sense of peace that the people of God enjoy together. And when we're asking, well, well, what exactly does that mean? That, that obedience, which he is referring to, that working out of salvation. And the nearest reference to the obedience which they are to, to continue and to grow in and to work out their salvation is the obedience of Jesus Christ. There is a glowing example and what is that example of obedience? What is that example of working out salvation? It is Jesus taking the will of God and coming from the glories of heaven into the darkness of the world, humbling himself, taking the form of a servant, and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. What is the pattern? It is working out the will of God in life, following the example of Jesus and every step that they're going to take together in Philippi will be a step that will imitate the very obedience of Christ, that will imitate his obedience and his devotion to the will of God, that will imitate his, his obedience and his devotion to those whom he, whom he came to save in that sense of humility and in that sense of being the servant of others. It is that working out of salvation to the very point of of death itself, whether that means suffering even to the suffering of death or death until the end of our lives, that's the way in which the communion is to be maintained. And for ourselves tonight, that's that's what we are called upon to do. Looking forward, we are called upon to be nothing less than practical, visible examples of the Jesus who did humble himself, of the Jesus who said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's the foundation of, of the communion that Jesus had with his Father. That's the foundation of the communion that you and I will have with each other. There is that sense of commitment to the salvation of God to the will of God in our salvation. And he says we're going to do that with, with fear and with trembling. Just as the, the people of God in the Old Testament, in Exodus 15 and in Exodus 19, they feared God because of his powerful presence. And they feared God because of his mighty acts in the, in the Exodus. And we are going to have that communion and you are going to have that communion. And there will be that sense of godly fear. 
because you, you do see the, the mighty acts of God in the gospel. That's the inspiration for, for this communion. You do see it also and find it because of the very presence of God. Giving me a sense of the presence of God. Giving me a view of the mighty acts of God. And my heart is filled with a humble sense of, of wonder and of marvel that the mighty acts of God are now worked out in, in, uh, through his presence in, in rescuing and in saving his people. And that gathers me around to the, the mighty acts of God and the passion of his Son. And it ensures that I walk in that sense of humility, that God fear that pushes everything that I do to, in order to ensure the fabric of the communion of the people of God. The communion. And why is that a necessary mark of who the people of God are? Why should we Aspire to that every day in the days that are to come. It is because it is God who works in you. In other words, if God has worked in you, then this is how you will work out. It's a a sense of being who you are. Being the children of God. And because God is working in our hearts, that it it finds itself coming to the surface, bubbling over into our lives, so that the grace of God works in our willing and works in our working. And the energy that, that we use in working out our salvation it's because of the energy of God that is already in our lives. The good pleasure of God. The things that are pleasing to God. And there, is, there are many things that are pleasing to God in, in the lives of the people of God individually. But there is a sense in which the communion of the people of God gives great pleasure to God. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, that they may all be one as we are. Communion. And we may ask, how does all that work? Do we think tonight that God is cooperating with us in what we are doing? Do we think it's it's part of of what we do ourselves and part of what, what God does? Of course, that's not what it means. But because God works, we also work. He is the inner inspiration of everything. And so tonight in our communion, we are here as the people of God. Our first responsibility is integration. In embracing the Lord Jesus, I'm integrated into the church of Christ in the world. And that integration into the Church of Christ establishes that communion which is to be maintained in every step that we take. And there is that ongoing sense of 
of growing integration. And so the people of God become closer and closer together in the life of faith and in their journey going forward. Communion. A plea for a God-glorifying witness. How powerful is the communion of the people of God when it is working as God designed it to work and because God is already working in his people. Secondly, there is the commission. What are we here for? Why has God left us here? What does God want us to do in the future? Well, he wants us to be commissioned to serve him. And we are going to do that by, first of all, establishing contentment in God. And I suggest to you that that's one of the most difficult things to have, to be content in what God has done for us. There are so many things that want to to rob us of that sense of peace in God, the contentment. And we see the need for that contentment here in verse number 14. Do all things, all these things that you're going to do in working out your salvation, do it without grumbling or without disputing. Grumbling, it's that sense of muttering in low distinct and indistinct tones that that nobody else can hear it's it's saying things under our under our voice kind of thing disputing is is more open it's it's is challenging it's something that that is more external it's that in a sense it is complaining and these two things are so closely related in life and of course we we, we can read that into the life of, of this people whom Jesus and, and, and Paul wants to be united in, in the communion of the saints. He wants them to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He wants Euodius and Sintichi to, to be at peace with each other. He, he wants them to, to stop the, the grumbling and the disputing that creates all of these tensions. And at that everyday level, it's a message that God wants us to take to heart. To avoid the, the, the muttering under our breath, to avoid the complaining, to avoid the very things that, that undermine the communion of the people of God. But more significantly, when Paul wants them to do everything without grumbling or disputing, he is wanting them to do so as those who are the children of God. And it is as if he is asking them, think about the people of God in the Old Testament. Go back to Deuteronomy 32. Go back to Numbers 11. Go back to Numbers 20. What were the people of God doing? They were complaining. They were complaining against Moses. They were complaining against God. In Numbers 11, the people murmured about their misfortune. Their murmuring was in the ears of the Lord. The people grumbled against Moses. You see, what what was happening with the people of God in the Old Testament, they were complaining about the hardship of their experience. 
they were complaining about the leadership of Moses, but ultimately they were complaining against God himself. They were rebelling against the God who had taken them from Egypt into the wilderness. They were grumbling, they were disputing. Why did you bring us here? And in that sense, here we have a people who are suffering for their faith, as we see at the end of chapter 1. They are suffering persecution in the Roman Empire. And they, they are grumbling because of what their faith has brought them into. They, they are disputing this whole situation. How can this be? Why is it like this? Why has God chosen to, to cause us to suffer for our faith? They are not content with where they are. And by showing their, their discontentment, they're proving that their hearts are the same as the hearts of those who were grumbling against God in the Old Testament. And because of that, they are unable to serve God. They are unable to have the communion that they should have with God. Their hearts are given over to this contentment and in, in our everyday experience this contentment can come like a tidal wave like a tsunami that that washes away every sense of rejoicing in the grace of God it robs us of that sense of the presence of God and the mighty acts of God and as, as, if, as if they are washed away in the debris. And all I'm left with is, is a sense of unhappiness, a sense of grumbling. And how you and I need to be on our guard against that. Do all things without, apart from that. Don't complain against God. Don't murmur in your mind and in your heart about what God has a portion to you as you journey on. Instead of that, and by doing that, they are to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless and innocent. Without fault. What a wonder that Potentially, they can be without fault, without innocent, sorry, blameless and, and innocent, that is complete, intact, that their faith and their lives, that they are intact as those who are the children of God, that there is no fault, that is evident that they can be accused of. Once the grumbling and the disputing stops, here is where they will find themselves, striving after communion, seeking to follow the Lord, and finding themselves with this Christ-like kind of life in the midst of the people of Philippi. And that enables them to shine as lights in the world to have that brightness of being the lights of the world in Daniel 12 
Daniel speaks in, in that vision of the way in which at the end of the age the many who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky. And here they are in Philippi. And perhaps because of grumbling and disputing, darkness surrounds them. And because of their grumbling and disputing, more importantly, there, they, they cease to be lights in the darkness of Philippi, in this twisted and crooked generation. But if they, if they do what, what Paul requires them to do, they will be like, like those who are wise in the day of Christ's return. They will shine like the stars in the brightness of the sky. And in the days of Paul, as he experienced himself on the way to Rome, the sailors who went to sea did not have their, their GPS that would uh, take them safely to their destination. But they sailed in the darkness. They sailed in the stormy sea. And they, they depended on, on the stars to shine at night so that they could steer their course safely to where they were going. And Paul wants them to, to remember their commission as the children of God, to remember that the city of, the city of Philippi, that it is in darkness, and that it will remain in darkness unless you as the children of God in Philippi, unless you be what you should be as the children of God, keeping yourselves, yourselves without cause for finding fault with you, keeping yourselves complete and intact in your faith, then what a difference you will make to Philippi, where God has placed you as his children, holding fast to the word of life, grasping tightly, embracing all the teaching of the gospel, the, the will of God, the, the, the good pleasure of God, their faithfulness to the gospel, their commitment to what God is doing, their absolute refusal to, to grumble and complain against God, but to shine as lights. You are the light of the world, says Matthew, and says Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That sense of shining. And in a plea for a God-glorifying witness, there is no witness without this. The darkness is in Shobust and Braggart as it was in Philippi. Darkness shows itself in different ways, in different generations, but it is darkness that is godless because godless, godlessness is darkness. And it is your responsibility as the people of God to ensure that you keep your, your lamp burning in this way. And so that when the, those who are outside of the kingdom of Christ, when they are looking to find their way in this dark world, they will see your light shining that they will follow you because they see nothing in you but what is Christ-like. 
and they find in you and in the people of God in the lives that they live they find there is hope in this dark world and uh, our community needs that today it, it will need that every day and no matter what happens in the future the responsibility rests with the people of God to be that light the commission let your light Shine before others. Let it shine brightly and let there be nothing that will cause it to be covered over because surely there is nothing like the faults that we show and the misbehavior that we may have to extinguish the very light that should be attractive to a lost world. Let's ensure that, that the light is never extinguished in that way, but that walking in our devotion to Christ will shine brightly so that people will not shipwreck, so that people will not go into eternal darkness and lostness, but that they will see Christ in you because God is working in you and Christ shining out of you. There is communion. There is commission. And finally, there is confirmation. What confirmation is Paul looking for? He could be accused of being selfish in the confirmation that he seeks. But let's look at the confirmation that he is looking for. In verse number 17, sorry, verse number 16, so that in the day of Christ, he is looking forward to perhaps the greatest day in the experience of this world. He has prayed for them that they will be kept innocent and pure into the day of Christ, that, that day of the return of Christ which he speaks of at the end of chapter 3 when, when he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his own glorious body. That, that great day of the shining of the glory of the Son of Man when he stands upon the earth. In that day, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That I may be proud that there may be satisfied contentment. And of course, pride is in the Bible, in the first place, as something that's very negative. We boast in ourselves, and by doing so, we exclude God. We do not trust in God. We are boasting in ourselves. But boasting in God means having confidence in God, rejoicing in God, giving thanksgiving to God. And we read the rest of the letter of Paul and he, he speaks about boasting in tribulations of Romans 5. He speaks in Second Corinthians 9 about boasting about them, about the people of God. He speaks in Galatians 6 of, of boasting in the cross of Jesus. There are areas in, in, in life where, where boasting is right because it is boasting in, in the mighty acts of God and here in Galatians 6, in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, 
he is saying that he wants in that day of Christ the confirmation that he did not run in vain or labour in vain. Why would Paul want that? Why would Paul want to, to, to see that confirmation in the day of Christ? He wants it because he wants to see them in that great day of Christ. And he wants to see them there because of the grace of Christ in them and because of the grace which was brought to them in the gospel that he preached to them. He wants them to, to follow that path of communion. He wants them to fulfill their commission. And he wants them to stand together and to rejoice in the glorious experience of looking at each other and, and looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he says in, in, in first in Second Corinthians chapter one. Just as you partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. The glory, the experience of that glory at the day of judgment. We go our separate ways. We do so after quite some time and we hope that we will still meet again but in the words of Paul to Corinthians we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and what I wonder it will be if it is the case on that day that all of the time that we have spent together is confirmed at the throne room of God that it was all not a waste of time, that it was all not in vain, as Paul says. He ran and he labored and he toiled. He is the athlete in the stadium. He is the worker in the field. All that he does is given over to the service of Christ. And he does not want to, to stand before the throne room of God and to see everything as, as empty and wasteful and fruitless. Instead, he wants them to share that moment of joyful, glorious experience with them. And when we think of these words, let's go forward together. Let, let's ensure that we follow the example of Jesus because if we do so, the day will come that will prove that the gospel has worked. Because God has worked in it. And because God has worked in your hearts and lives. And that work, that work of God has enabled you to work out together. And to journey on with all of the energy of the love of God and the power of the Spirit of God right up until the very end. And in Paul's words to the, to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, 
I will see you again. Sorry, the words of the Lord Jesus to the disciples. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And there's that sense of, of, of joy in the Lord Jesus. But there is that sense of anticipation that we can say to each other, whatever happens in life, we will see each other again. We will rejoice in Christ when we do so. And nothing will take that joy from us because we can look back and boast in God because it is his work, it is his church, we are his children and he is the one who has begun a good work and will bring it on until the day of Jesus Christ. And let's go forward ensuring that we do strive for that communion, that we do fulfill our commission and that we will have the joy of that confirmation when Christ stands on this earth and gathers his people and takes them in to the new heavens and the new earth. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we bow our heads before you and to worship you, to pray to you, to ask you to, to bless your word to us that, that it may work itself in our inner beings and bear fruit in our lives and enable us to walk your paths and to live for you and to live for one another and to look forward to that day of your glory and the day of the glory of the people of God and to find in that day rejoicing in your presence as those in whose lives you have worked and as those concerning whom it is true that you have blessed the gospel to the glory of your name and to the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Saviour. Here a prayer we ask unto mercy. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.